Hello, Annabelle Crab. No. Now, if possible, I was only here a few days ago, but I think the books have like doubled in number I know. since I was last here. Look, it, it's like actually arriving, and I, I actually blame slash credit this podcast for which it turns out we weirdly enough get paid in books, which is, it's kind of like my childhood dream to just walk into a room and find it full of packages of books that people have sent, which mm. is just, it's incredible. And I'm so unable to, to process this good fortune that <laughs> they're just lying everywhere. I'm just, I'm, yeah, it's, it's well, there's, like, there's some that look like good fortune, some that look like less good fortune, but anyway. Well, you know, come on, it's all good. Okay, now, um, I got a really nice letter this, well, it was just sort of bit, made me a bit sad, actually. Oh, God. But um, I just wanted to read it because I, it was so well written, and I just, anyway, I'll just read this bit of it. It's a long letter, so I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And it was, it was basically somebody saying... Thanks for the podcast because I feel a bit like you're making my world bigger and richer than, than the minuscule world that is my reality now because she has two small children. Number one son is four and number two is nine months. And well, life... see you later. You're not going out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Life is just hard in that slogging kind of way. Um, I feel bad saying it because it's not as though I live in a war zone or lack food or my spouse beats me. My children are healthy and I can afford to buy tea and scented candles to cover the stink of shit and vomit. My... <laughs> My life is not hard in a, in any way. It's polite to complain about. It's just hard in the kind of all day, every day, every night kind of way. With number two, I'm older and less patient and I feel guilty about it. Two is so much harder than one. I'm sick of the sound of my happy voice, my patient voice that enjoys negotiating about the wearing of shoes and the brushing of teeth when really I just want to scream the shit through everyone. I feel that scream rising up from my belly and then I feel it get chopped off at my throat. I am sick of cooking food to then clean it off the floor. Look, I, I don't understand what she's talking about. Do you relate <laughs> just, to this? I just, what is this woman on about? Yeah, what is she talking about here? <laughs> I feel very far away from myself. Before having kids, I had read about such claims of loss of self but never understood it or bothered to. Now I get it. My boys are beautiful and I love them more than I thought possible. I know they've given me so much and filled my life with a beauty I would otherwise never have known. But just quietly between us and now all the podcast listeners. <laughs> late at night, after a wine or two, in a whispered voice, after a couple of false starts, they have also taken some things. Some very dear things. Most of the time it's okay. Sometimes there's resentment. Anyway, it's just a really very heartfelt letter that I've really, really related to. <laughs> I think, first of all, hello, um, presumably uh, correspondent, you are probably listening to this and thinking, that mole! <laughs> that was just for sales and crab! I haven't named the person. No, we've just given the details to docs. <laughs> um, first thing is, like the thing that I remember most about that, like, really little kids where you are just asleep for, uh, you're awake for, just sleep, joking, never asleep, <laughs> awake for, at weird times of the day and night, at times that make you feel really alone. Like that, when your kids are waking up at like 4am in that sort of, well, it's probably late enough for me to just not countenance going back to sleep for the day. Like those are really long hours. And of course you feel alone because nobody in your immediate vicinity is in the same circumstance. Sometimes not even your spouse who you hate with a bitterness. <laughs> No, um, but the, that is true, but 
Also, I found so I used to have a music stand set up when yeah. I was breastfeeding in the middle of the night, and I put my iPad on it and sort of flick through the twitters while yeah. I was breastfeeding. And what I discovered at you know three a.m. or whatever time it was was that. There was a community of people, yeah. and it was often other women breastfeeding, yeah. uh, people on shift work who were just coming home, and you would see the same names pop yeah, up in yeah. the thing. And so bizarrely, I'd say, you know, like, is anybody out there, out there, out there? And then some people would reply. Shut up. <laughs> um, so get yourself a music stand. Well, yeah. I, that is true, because with my youngest child, you, you loaned me your music stand, oh, and that? it was right. bloody handy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the other thing that I would say to our correspondent is, God, that time passes slowly, but it does pass. Like one of the things that is hard, and I know that we're all rational human beings, but one of the things that's hardest to remember when you are massively sleep deprived and your day is a really grueling kind of routine of, of repetitive um, activities based around this person that you, a small person that you love unbelievably intensely, um, it's hard to remember that that time will pass and that when you look back on it, it won't actually seem like all that long. It's just while you're living through it, it seems interminable. And so I would say you will get yourself back. You really will. And this is something that you've just got to smash through, I think. I think so. I don't want to liken being the parent of small children to a concentration camp. but Okay, I am, but you but, sort of just did, didn't but you? I am going to you refer, unthinkable horror. I am going to refer to Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is about his time in a concentration camp. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> and he says, I, I found that book to be just, I only read it for the first time last year, and it was absolutely mind-blowing. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. But basically, when people lose hope is when they start to think that this situation is pervasive and permanent mm. and if you can hold on to some hope that it's not this is not your new permanent life that i think does help you to sort of keep trudging through the yep. weeds yeah. Um, I say this to myself as much as anyone, <laughs> as the mother of two small children. You're a weird trudger from way back. I am a weird trudger from way back. Anyway, so um, I hope that that correspondent um, is feeling a bit better, or that we at least made her laugh about me asking, <laughs> is that my car? <laughs> um, I, I do have another um, bit of a um, correspondent to mention as well. She's not technically... Um, one, but last night um, I went and emceed the uh, Public Affairs um, Foundation, public, oh God, Public Education Foundation, God, brain, kicking to gear, please, at uh, Sydney Town Hall. And it, it's this sort of awards night for public school students and it brings together these incredible pe young people and um, a lot of people who put a lot of work and um resources and money into arranging scholarships for um, really, really uh, talented public school students who might otherwise lack the wherewithal to um, uh, pursue their abilities. Um, the highlight of the evening, I must say, was this um, one young woman. She's a year 11 student, actually, so she's still a child, technically. Mm. <laughs> and um, she was one of about 80 recipients of these um, scholarships that uh, went to um, high school students that are um, of a refugee background. Right. Anyway, um, anyway, she's a, a year 11 student and she has been in Australia for about three or four years and she was from Syria. Mm. And she 
popped up and gave a little speech about her experiences and how she was like really, really incredibly um, excited to mm. be um, at school in Australia. She said, oh, I just love school so much. And like, I missed a whole year of school um, because of the war. Her name's Barah Omar, by the way. Um, and um, she uh, she's at Holroyd High School at the minute. And uh, anyway, she was so funny and kind of, she was chattering on about how um, she loved this scholarship because it gave her a laptop and she didn't have to share it with any of her siblings and she's, that's ace. And um, she said, oh, look, you know, I'm just, I get overexcited and I, I'm interested in so many things and I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. But then I realised I love watching the block so much. I'm going to be an architect. <laughs> anyway, she was such a dag, this kid, and I just thought she was such an Aussie Sheila. Like, she was just awesome, and I really rated her. She was great. But it was pretty, pretty exciting to see all these young people who've had a bit of a hand and, you know, just looking at them all and thinking, where are you people going to be in 10 or 20 years? It's great, isn't it, too, when you see people like that and you think, um, you know, you have been given a helping hand in some way, like yeah. a leg up or whatever, in, especially in public education yeah. and stuff like that. Um, we had this story on 7.30 this week that we had actually on this particular story, particularly like two stories that I found both just so incredible. One was about... Um, you know, when you talk about kids going into care, you often think foster parents. Yeah. By far the most likely people taking kids into care are relatives. Yeah. And so this was about um, relatives taking on care for kids. But you don't get the same sort of government support if you're just a no. relative taking a kid. Anyway, they had this um, couple, the woman's name was Mel. They were quite young themselves. They clearly just were living pretty hand-to-mouth. And they had taken on um, their cousin who had had the right. most god-awful upbringing and they didn't have very much but what they did have they were sharing and they were just basically trying to say to her your life doesn't have to be this you can do whatever you want and I just thought buddy what a couple of legends like they were just really you know fantastic and there was another couple who were grandparents who had taken their grandson on because the parents had had messed it up um same thing just you know doing a really cracking job mm. under under tough circumstances um the other story that we had was um harking back to me referencing the holocaust before was this man this 97 year old bloke who would have passed for early 70s named eddie jq who is a volunteer at the sydney jewish museum and a holocaust survivor lost his entire family and he described himself as i'm the happiest man you'll ever meet and he just was I mean, just go and watch it because you just watch this guy and thought, God, I hope I'm like that when I'm old. And just the lesson in when bad stuff happens to you, not turning into a bitter, unforgiving person, just actually... Because you'd struggle in those circumstances. Oh, man. I just, I don't know how he had... But he was one of those older people whose entire face was just so kindly and he had lovely mm. twinkly eyes and he was just absolutely amazing. So all these school kids come through. He had, like, this stack of letters that people send him after they meet him. And, yeah, just what an incredible, productive life for that guy to have lived. Really something else. So... All on iView, so go online, watch those 7.30 episodes, and while you're there, <laughs> hey, I'm about to be the person who remembers to do the thing, right? <laughs> go while you're there, go to iTunes, or uh, is that what we, go to iTunes? Leave us a review. Leave us a review. It helps other people find us, you know, and um, also makes us feel good <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and go to our website, chat10looks3.com, and um, Brenda will have put all of the interesting things that we're talking about 
on there. That's right. And there's also a lovely picture there of you posing in your birthday present from last podcast. Where's my driver? Yeah. Um, um, but the reason I told you the story about the Public Education Foundation and the um, awards in Sydney last night was that this woman who was um, looking after me at it and sort of making sure that I didn't accidentally walk through the wrong door and, like, get locked in the dunnies at the <laughs> town hall... Um, was uh, this woman called Michelle Lansdowne. And now she is a Chat 10 listener, and she works late nights. She works for the arts unit for the um, New South Wales Education Department, so she's mm -hmm. a full musical theatre nerd. Ah. And she, who is probably driving home and listening to this because we try, we keep her awake when she's right. driving home late night, yes. she is the missing link that got you on that podcast. <gasps> Really? How did that happen? About. Well, How did that happen? She knows the guy. Oh. And she listened to the podcast and rang the guy and said, hey, 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 please. Lee Sales is super desperate to be on your podcast. Um, there you go. We, speaking of musicals, reminds me of my friend Mark Colvin, yeah. who was not a lover of musicals. <laughs> and who. You know, I like that guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, he, in one of our final meetings, uh, he was a big reader of poetry, and I have never understood poetry very much. And uh, <laughs> we were talking... Bombard sales with sonnets. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about what could be some gateway poetry for me. It was just having one final stab to get me to like poetry. And I love that that's his deathbed mission. <laughs> Just to make you read a goddamn poem. What did he suggest? I'm interested. Um, I emailed it to myself. He Well, what I was going to say, he began by suggesting, um, well, he suggested Yates. Um, right. He suggested, um, who's Ozymandias dude? Keats. What? Keats. Ozymandias, who? Ozymandias, you know. Look upon my works, you mighty and weak. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking, who's Ozymandias? No, no, no. Oh, God. Aussie, Aussie Mandy, she's a great chick. She's how's a great Sheila. How's this literature talk tutorial going? <laughs> Pretty badly. <laughs> um, he said, well, why don't you sell with some T.S. Eliot sales? Well, that's exactly what I've always suggested to you. Well, I think T.S. Eliot is your gateway poet. I said to Colvin... Let us go now, you and I, as the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. I said, want a little more? <laughs> I said to Colvin, oh, T.S. Eliot, I know T.S. Eliot. I've read Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats because it's the basis of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats. Yeah. And Colvin just like fixed me with like just yeah. a look that sort of said like just despair yet also like reluctant affection. And he said, well, perhaps some Blake then. Uh, <laughs> until Kubla Khan the musical comes out, I'm not touching that Coleridge. Coleridge, that's what I was trying to think of before. Mm, Coleridge. Yeah. Not um, that the Yeah, list. he was a bit of a Coleridge fan you as well. You so. are a cretin. Um, now, I know we have fairly regularly on this podcast talked about Colvin, and um, if you want to know why do they bang on about this man, have a look at this week's episode of Foreign Correspondent, which they uh, had a tribute to Colvin on, and um, it was just really, really good. It was really good. So. I love Tony Jones's recollection about first meeting Colvin. He's like, this spectacularly handsome romance figure walked into the room. Did like, you say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard it on an afternoon interview um, on 702, I think, and it was just, oh, it made me just 
Yeah. He was gobsmackingly yeah. handsome. If I, I only knew Colvin because um, he's like 20 years older than me I knew, and I only knew him from when he hosted PM, so I've only known him for the last 20 years, whereas Tony Jones and all of them have yeah. known him for 40 years, so they all knew young Colvin. When I've been looking, I mean, I've, I've seen photos of young Colvin, but all the footage of the past week of Colvin, I was thinking, oh, my God, I would have just been the most pathetic. So, Colvin, <laughs> tell, me about, tell me some more about studying at Oxford. <laughs> I just would have been a pathetic loser. I just I feel really fortunate for Mark that he did only meet me in his later years. Just like a young Stalin, really. Just <laughs> cropped and gorgeous. He was. Um, so on the weekend, uh, because Colvin died, I was so unbelievably sad. And so I thought, oh, I've got to just try and watch something to cheer myself up. Noodling around on Netflix. Um, saw that Stan had this thing called One Night Stan, which is just um, clips of stand-up comedy. Oh, yeah. People's stand-up comedy routines. So um, your girlfriend, Celia Piccola, oh, was one of them. I love her. <laughs> um, and she was really good. That was funny. And Tom Ballard had one as well that was just bedwettingly funny. I loved it. And it was just one of those ones. You know when you watch somebody who is doing stand-up or speaking to a room and it's one person and a big room yeah. and the entire room is just eating out of their hand. Yeah. That's what it was like. And it was just, it was an absolute pleasure to watch it. Like, to just see how his delivery was so great and the material was really funny, but he just had utter command of the room. It was just really great. I reckon that's like crack for comedians. They get such a high from that, you know, the moment or the stand-up, gig where everything goes right they're always chasing that high because mm. then there are sometimes where stand-up gigs go bad oh. for no reason or something happens and it's just oh, not that, working that just must be the depths of misery that feeling of when you're out there and it's just going flat oh blech, makes me feel ill um but anyway that was one where it was not going flat at all um i have been um watching a television series that's been going to air on the ABC. I've been watching it in a time-delayed format, which mm -hmm. is also now how I watch your show since MasterChef's on. Sorry. <laughs> it's terrible. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the children. They just think your stuff is dull. <laughs> but they really <laughs> love that. But they, they like MasterChef. They really like watching the collapse cooking, of George Calabaris. <laughs> I need to do some cooking on 7.30. You do, actually. That is would George Calabaris really... still on MasterChef? Yeah. Because he's been in the news a lot I lately. know, but they've pre-recorded. I mean, like, MasterChef was made months ago. Right. Yeah, which means you can't go and visit Yotam Ottolenghi in his hotel room. He's long gone. Even oh, though he hasn't showed I up in the series yet. Yeah. But, yeah, wow, that guy's having a bad year, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so what's this thing you've been watching? Anyway, uh, it's called Seven Types of Ambiguity. Mm -hmm. So it is a television series on the ABC, and it is kind of a thriller, and it's about um, the first episode um, has Alex Dimitriadis, who's a, a, a dad of a little boy. His wife goes away for a conference, and he's left in charge of picking up the little boy uh, from school. He's um, clearly involved in some barely legal... Um, he's a bit of a flash Harry, and he's oh, got yeah. some investment scheme that in obviously involves cutting a few corners. Like, it's basically New South Wales government in the 1990s. <laughs> That's just pretty much what's going on. Um, and he's, like, trying to get an investor over the line or whatever. It's all very busy. And then he gets a phone call from his school saying, uh, look, don't... Um, the, the, the school um, excursion bus is delayed. Don't... Um, 
uh, don't come and pick up your kid until 4.15. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Pulls up there at 4.15, school's deserted, right? Oh. There's no kid. There's, in fact, there's, there's no his kid. There's no any kids. He runs in, finds the principal, can't find the kid. Who's the person who's picked up the kid? <sighs> Who made that phone call because it was totally not correct? Wow. The school bus, the excursion bus did come back at 3.15. So anyway, it's highly tense mm. and um, a couple more things happen. There's all sorts of mysteries about who picked up this kid and whatever. And you start finding out details um, over the course of the first episode. Now, the second episode is told from the perspective of another character. Mm. And so it's actually quite a lovely structure. It's well put together and the performances are really good. And it is... I'm really looking forward to seeing all the other... Um, episodes which are all told from another character's perspective. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and it, it's um Hugo the second we the second um episode is told from the perspective of Hugo Weaving, which means that I would watch it whatever it was about. I love Hugo Weaving. Exactly. Um and things are happening in Hugo Weaving's life and you hear about all of that. He's actually the psychiatrist for the man who did take the child. Oh. So anyway, I'm really getting into it. And, oh, that sounds um, great. Yeah, yeah. I've got that book is sitting on my bedside table. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Well, I haven't read the book. Um, um, no, it's sitting there. Speaking of uh, books with structures I like, mm. I am halfway through the Anne Enright book that you gave me. Oh, what do you think? This is well, The Green Road. Yes. Um, I'm going to talk to her next week at the Sydney Writers' Festival. I love that structure. Well, just when you said the structure of every yeah. episode is a different character. Yeah. So the book is not a dissimilar structure although it's not like the same episode told from multiple points of view it's yeah. just different people in the same family yeah. I think you described it last week as each individual story could have been its own book and mm. yeah it feels like that so it's reminded me a little bit of The Corrections by Jonathan Francis oh you always like that book right? um, just because I like that sort of I do like that genre of going deep in a family mm. in one family um, and the corrections in the same way that the various kids, it sort of goes, does a deep dive into their individual lives and the parents, this book is, seems to be doing that. Um, so I've done, and the, so Dan, I've read in New York, yeah. um, which I thought was really, I felt like I was there, yeah. like it was so evocative and amazing. Um, and then Constance going for the breast cancer exam and stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's amazing, isn't it? This yeah. incredible sequence where Constance, who's kind of the, She's the kind of mumsy, reliable child of the family who's looking after this grumpy, prickly mother while the rest of them go off and, you know, live in New York and have fabulous lives or become alcoholics or whatever. She's the one sort of making the Christmas dinner and stuff. Mm. And she goes to hospital to have a, um, a scan of this breast irregularity that's shown up and nobody in her family remembers that it's even happening. <laughs> so there's this low growl of resentment that runs through the whole thing. Yeah. But it's also really skillful, isn't it, that so the that section of the book um, sort of takes place over the course of the exam um, and then when she arrives home. But it dips in and out of, because it gives the backstory of how she and her husband got together mm. and um, what their domestic life's like. And it, it's just so incredibly, but you're never feeling like you're dipping in and out like that. No. It just really skillfully stays in this particular scene, but keeps taking you backwards in time and then coming back and then backwards in time again. It's so. like you're in a room and you're just constantly noticing new things. Mm. And it's, a, it's an incredible skill to be able to do that. I'm actually um, just about to finish reading 
The Gathering, which is the book that won Anne Enright the Booker Prize in like, I don't know, 2009 or something. I don't, yeah. Do you often think, like, I reckon I read a lot, right? But I'm constantly being caught short. Like, there's constantly a book that every every single person in the world's read. Yeah. Have you read that? Like, I just have never heard of that Yeah, book. I know. I mean, where are all these people coming from who know all of these prize winners? And, like, I just, because I think I put quite a bit of time into reading and I still don't know anything. Look, I, same, but I, I do not know. But there's, like, a constant sort of just, I try not to think about it, but, like, base-level anxiety in my life that there's just new books all the time that I want to yeah. read that I know I'm not going to. And there's heaps of old books that I have not yet read that I would really like to and I just know that I'm yeah. not going to. So... You just got to throw a Dickens overboard every now and again, don't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just remind listeners that uh, uh, when we did our event at the Sydney Writers' Festival a few years back and we were talking about books that we've, like classics that we've never read and Sales announced that she's just got to the point in her life where she's accepted that she's never going to read Dickens <laughs> and I just thought you were going to be the subject of a violent uprising right then and there. There was this like oh, mutter audible outrage. We totally lost the room. It continues to be one of my favourite moments ever. I'm actually now rethinking that and mm-hmm. thinking maybe I should, re- I thought I might raise it at the Sydney Writers Festival this year. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the jury's in on that one, love. <laughs> I just thought I might ask for a straw poll. If I were to read some Dickens, what would people I suggest? Think read a tale of two cities do you yeah not great expectations oh god especially not great expectations oh, okay. jesus a 2000 page dirge about a law <laughs> about a about a a, a a tortious law case that never goes anywhere i mean mm, okay. cases in tort law that do go somewhere are already crashingly boring why would you bother with one that doesn't where nothing ever happens Dear God, no. Okay. Love God, no. Um, but uh, Tale of Two Cities is not especially long. Right. It is uh, genuinely thrilling. Okay. It is um, set in uh, revolutionary France where um, and the interaction between a sort of um, secret liberation fighter and a sort of um, uh, synthetic family in England. It's, um, it's awesome. Okay, all right. I'll pacey. I'll keep that yes. just in the back of my mind. Um, what else? Uh, I don't know. What else have you been doing? Uh, oh, I, like I watched an episode else. of The Circus. Oh, hey, yeah. yeah. Right now, I want to hear about that because I um, made a number of resolutions mm. to watch it during the election campaign, the US election campaign, and I never did. No, me either. This is the first so you've started it. watching it. Now tell so me about the... this is a television show on uh, Netflix called The Circus, which is a weekly half-hour fly-on-the-wall-style documentary show, sort of shot like a reality show, and it's about that week in American politics. And it's done by two guys, Mark Halperman, Mark Halperman, Halperin and John Heileman, who wrote that awesome book about the 2008 yeah. election campaign. Yeah. Um, I think Game Change Game was change. called in the States. And yeah, here something it was different. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why would like, you call it Game Change here? I don't know. Maybe there's a sort of tennis memoir that's. Um... <laughs> yeah, it might be. Cause, like, that's, I, all I ever know it is is Game Change. Um, Jack Game Change with the two Woodies. <laughs> um, I love those Woodies. <laughs> what are they doing now, those Woodies? Woodying which around. Woody was which? Um, so Todd Woodbridge was the cute one. Mark Woodford was the redhead. Only a ginger can call another ginger <laughs> a ginger. Can call another ginger ginger. Um, so 
yeah, so they basically just um, talk about that week in politics and there's a few bits where they'll have some, you know, footage of what's happened and then Heilerman and Helper will bump into each other in a corridor and do a bit of analysis and then they'll meander off or they might be having a beer or one of them might ring the other one and so they talk, their analysis is sort of interspersed throughout right. it. Right, and yeah. how's it shot? Like... It's a combo of real news clips and like you know vision from tv of today president donald trump blah, right, blah, yeah. like that type of stuff and then i don't i asked my producer actually what they're shooting it on because it has that documentary look yeah which i presume people that know more about this stuff than i do would go oh the film stocks are blur and they're shooting it on a c96 blah, 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 like whatever yeah. you know um it just has that so what they do is there's enough what i would call sort of beauty doco shots that make it feel like a high-end doco but then it's actually then that'll be sort of buttered straight up against just some footage from press conference. Right. Um, which gives it a sort of dynamic, grabby sort of feel. Yeah. Which is, must, what, must be what it feels like to be in American politics. <laughs> yeah, Dynamic and oh, grabby. I mean, I mean, the material that they've got to work with is just stellar. Um, anyway, it's very... I'd be really curious for you to watch it. And well, I would love to it. watch it. And do you know what? I didn't actually know that they were continuing it post the campaign. So this is actually... This yeah. is all President Trump stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I have my favourite development from the last 12 hours is, you've got to keep refreshing your favourite development oh, just to get sillier and sillier. Totally. I love that there is a possibility that this whole you know dispute about who said what when could be settled by Sergei Lavrov <laughs> releasing his own transcript of what happened. Oh, just like, I know. Okay, here's the thing. Once I'm relying on the Russian machine to well, prove something that, one way or the other, I just love good. that. So, so Sergey has uh, clearly gone in what wired or something, has he? Well, presumably, I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought that was really notable too. He was the UN. He was Russia's ambassador. But to don't the they UN. all have like contemporaneous note takers in there when they have those bilaterals? Yeah, so and I maybe think it just means maybe it just means his notes. Yeah. But I don't know but because Putin they'd be reliable, wouldn't they? Because the Russians don't make stuff. <laughs> Putin basically said, um, implied that he had a tape. Oh so maybe oh the old office is bugged. There's been enough Russians through there. Maybe well, one top towers bugged, up. isn't it? According to yeah. the president. Anyway, it's fascinating. My other sort of favourite development was that the Justice Department has appointed an independent investigator to look at the links supposedly between the National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and Russia, and it is none other than the former head of the FBI, Robert Mueller. Yeah. It's just like, wow. It's like, it's not even like a movie, because a movie you'd be like, this is too complicated. Par yeah. it back. We can't have the NSA dude sacked for talking to Russia and the president sacking the head of the FBI. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just can't. Too many sacking. Too much stuff going busy, on. Busy, busy, busy. Wind it back, dial mm. it down, pick what this story's about. Mm. Like, Introduce a pet. Yeah, just love interest. It's just, yeah, gobsmacking. Anyway, uh, I need to summon my driver because uh, <laughs> it's time for me to head two floors back down. downstairs. Um, oh, one more thing. Yes. I also have listened to um, a podcast called Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Oh, yeah, okay. So... Tell me something I don't know about it. Yeah. Oh, see, this is why I fail. Everything's gone out of my head now that you've asked me a snappy question. Um, anyway, it's the, they get a panel of really interesting and uh, quirky people who have got extraordinary deep knowledge of some areas. Right. And they, it's like a game show. They put them up and um, they have an audience full of people who have each brought a fascinating fact with them. Mm. And they pick an audience member who stands up and like asks a question, um, you know, um, what is it that people who are freezing to death do? 
<laughs> wow. And they borrow and take off their all their clothes. Oh my gosh, that bit was a bit um, depressing. But um, <laughs> but it's all about trying to winkle out these kind of surprising things, mm. and it's such a it's a good concept because that is exactly what I'm looking for in podcasts. I might. What is something I want to read or think about that I won't find anywhere else? So it's not perfect. Like there are times where it doesn't quite work, I think. But the concept is really interesting. And the great thing was that there was this woman there. Um, I can't remember what she did. She was the head of some worthy institution, like a museum or a um, college. I can't remember which. And um, <laughs> they're all the panelists are asked to say something about themselves that they that you wouldn't know. And this woman casually reveals. Um, that she can talk backwards, like that she noticed at the age of seven that she could say words backwards without really having to think about it. Her brain just works in that way, wow. and so she just sits there and talks backwards. For so a, does a she? Or two. Is it like does she say backwards talk? Can I? Or does she go store? Well, she doesn't start from the very end of the sentence. She right. says each word backwards, but in um, wow. normal sentence order, <sighs> and it's just. It was quite a funny What thing. does it... Oh, I was going to say, what does it sound? Does it, it sound, sound like a foreign like, language you know, or does it just sound like someone speaking Yeah, it sounds like a foreign language. Wow, that's... But as she says, sense. it's the world's most useless skill. Completely. That's right, you might as well just go and do that. I'm always irritated when I see people play that guitar computer game. Guitar Hero. Right. Really accomplished people at Guitar Hero. I think, dude... You could actually play the guitar for the amount of time you've that there are international tournaments. For yeah, like, it just I mean, incenses me. Yeah. Like, just play the guitar, people. It's like that thing now, um, and my seven-year-old son is a big fan of this, and I just try and stamp it out. It comes second only to my one-woman campaign to stamp out versing as a verb. Have you noticed? Oh, I no. See, wait, wait, wait till your kids play sport. So you know that now, when school teams play each other, they don't say this weekend we're playing, you know... Oh, they say we're versing. We're versing. <laughs> versing. It's everywhere. Like, it's actually probably a bit too late to stop. But I am actually, like, I think now bullying my children into standing up against it wherever they found mm. it, find it on my behalf. Is it's going to really damage them long term, I think. Is that what you're trying to stop EJ doing? Using uh, no, no. Oh. I'm also I'm getting him to... A, be a foot soldier in my uh, war versus versing. <laughs> um, but I'm also intrigued by uh, his attraction for um, YouTube videos that are um, somebody else playing a computer game. Oh, yeah. That's just yeah. crazy. That, there is a big... That is huge. Yeah, see, I it's huge. playing computer games, um, you know, video games or whatever boring enough when I'm doing it. The idea of watching some other freak do it is just the it most pulverisingly tedious concept I've ever heard. Google it. It's massive. It is. Yeah, I, look, I find it as completely mystifying as you. The only thing that I would find more irritating in my household would be if one of my children were learning tuba. <laughs> oh, again with the tuba oh, I'm just, no, that was just, I'm just, Double no, down. I'm just having a little, I, hey, that was a joke, tuba players, that was bums. a joke. I have had to keep, <laughs> I have had to keep replying, tuba players mostly keep sending me photos of their face, thank God. So I have to keep saying. <laughs> have, you had, have you had any ass photos yet? No, thank <gasps> God. So still time to strike. <laughs> I keep saying to people, you know, dear Dan, I'm really terribly sorry, you look pristine. <laughs> Anyway, it's just been a bit, um, yeah, sorry to you, players. <laughs> All right, better go. See ya. Bye. Oh, hang on, I can't get my phone working to turn yeah. it off. It's just a bit of a delay. It's a well old machine, yeah. isn't it? Right, here we go. Okay, bye.